Hello and welcome to my podcast, The Mongols, Chinese Emperors. This is Episode 7, Regicide and more. In my last episode, we learned that Kaishan, better known as Kulig Khan, came to the throne of the empire and the Chinese dynasty, but only after a violent family clash to succeed his uncle, Temur Khan. We also learned that Temur Khan died without an heir, nor designating an heir. His short reign lasted only four years, and his younger brother, Emperor Renzong, succeeded him. We know he is primarily known for his efforts to further sinicize the Yuan dynasty, but he met a lot of resistance from the other imperial princes. But he's still considered by some to be the last competent Yuan Emperor. In this episode, if someone wanted to create a fictional or non-fictional rendition of the Mongol rule over China with the most drama, the period of time I will talk about in this episode and the next would be perfect for that story. And, as the title of this episode suggests, there is regicide, betrayal, a coup d'etat, war, and general mayhem. Let me get into it. Following the death in March of the year 1320 of Ayur Barwada, or Emperor Renzong, the next secession was the only one that actually followed the Chinese principles of primogeniture. Emperor Renzong had named his son to, to succeed him. His name, Shuoda Bala, and he was born in the year 1302 and would have been 18 when he became the emperor and great Khan. He's better known by his name of Gagin Khan, the ninth great Khan and the fifth Chinese Yuan emperor. Prior to his father's death, he had been appointed to various important administration positions. Gagin Khan had been schooled like his father in traditional Chinese and Confucian principles. He was a devout Buddhist, but he openly supported Confucianism. Early in his reign, he surrounded himself with many Chinese scholars. Now, I need now 
to introduce a new person that played a significant role at the time of this dynasty, at the time of this particular time of the dynasty. His name, Temuder, and he was a powerful grand counselor of the right to the Chinese emperor, Renzong, the previous emperor. More importantly, he was the empress dowagers, who was the late emperor Renzong's mother. Timuder was her protege, and she was a powerful ally. Timuder, while a powerful friend or enemy, as it may have been, had a lousy reputation with the Chinese, as they considered him corrupt. To others, he was just a schemer and a troublemaker, while the previous emperor, Renzong, was still alive. The emperor tried to neutralize Temuder's influence. But the emperor never really could fully neutralize him. He did, however, manage to dismiss him of his positions in the year 1317. Now, with the young, naive, and inexperienced new emperor, Gagin, his grandmother, the Empress Dowager, influenced and convinced Gagin Khan to bring Tumuter back to a more prominent position within the Khanate. Tumuter's reemergence, or rebirth, allowed him to acquire even greater power than he had during Renzon's reign. Tumuter wanted vindication vengeance, and retribution against those that opposed him during Emperor Renzon's reign. Temuder essentially unleashed a reign of terror against those opponents. It was so bad that Gagin Khan scholars and advisors complained. And in response, in the year 1320, Gagin Khan appointed another Grand Counselor, this one on the left, to counter Tamuder, who was the Grand Counselor of the Right. That turned out to be a pretty savvy move for such a young ruler. He chose a person with a long, solid Mongolian family heritage, and he was part of the aristocracy. His name, Pai Chu. And Pai Chu had great influence with Chinese officials and was an effective counter to to Tamuder's influence. Predictably, it led to a feud between these two counselors. Fortunately for Gagin and his dynasty and empire, Tamuder, along with the Empress Dowager, died both in the year 1322. And with those two passing, a major bomb had been diffused. Within a year after Tamuder's death, most of his supporters were attacked for misappropriating public funds and accepting bribes. With those two out of the way, Gagin Khan could then focus on his agenda. On his agenda. He replaced Tamuder, who was the Grand Counselor of the Right, with a fellow by the name of Baiju. And it turns out that Baiju was also a wise selection. Regardless of any agenda 
Kagin Khan may have had, it all came to a tragic end on September 4, 1323. Encamped at Nanpo, which was located between Beijing and the summer capital, he and Baiju were attacked and killed. It was a classic coup d'etat, masterminded by the Minister of Military Affairs, several other high-ranking administration officials, Tamudur's son, and five Mongol princes. Indeed, five of the 16 conspirators were Mongol princes. The assassinated emperor was only 21 years of age. After the assassination, the conspirators moved to take control of the dynasty and the empire. They immediately sent an envoy to Mongolia requesting a fellow by the name of Yesun Temer, the Prince of Qin, to become the next Khan. The coup appears to have had two motives. One, Gagin Khan had denied the conspiring princes their annual entitlements. And the reason Gagin, or the excuse that Gagin gave for denying them those entitlements was based on fiscal concerns. That was not, however, the way the denied princes saw it. Because never before in the Yuan dynasty had the entitlements been withheld. The second reason for the coup was that Gagin Khan had taken stricter measures against these princes. And these princes saw that as punitive. Gagin Khan, or his other name, Emperor Yingzong, his short three-year reign barely moves the Richter scale and so really does not get much in review. Gagin Khan's successor was Yesen Temer Khan, and he was one of the coup's conspirators and a direct beneficiary from it. Yesen Temer was born in the year 1293, and he was the murdered Khan's uncle. He was already 29 when he ascended the throne. His great-grandfather was Kublai Khan. His Chinese emperor name is Taiding, and he was the 10th Mongolian great Khan and 6th UN emperor. He was born in Mongolia, and he was the eldest son of Gamala, or Kamala. Gamala, of course, was the eldest son of Genjin. If you recall, Gamala lost his succession battle to his younger brother, Temer Khan, in the year 1294. I know this gets confusing. Way too many Temers and in rapid-fire order. Anyway, Yesen Temer was one of the eligible princes in the the year 1307 succession issues against the two brothers, Kaishan and Ayur Barwada. Since that time, Yesen Temer spent his time overseeing his fiefdom in Mongolia and his large, powerful army. He had a big problem from the beginning, his legitimacy, and it was immediately 
questioned. Regicide, not surprisingly, was inexcusable according to both Chinese and Mongol traditions. Legitimacy would play a huge role in Yesen Temer's actions, as we shall see. Yesen Temer's Khan's claim to the Khanate and to the dynasty came on the basis that his father, Gamala, was Genjin's oldest son and he was the most senior among the grandsons of Genjin. There was also apparently a consensus reached between the princes and the ministers in Mongolia and China to allow him to become the great Khan. Immediately after Yesen Khan's ascension, he appointed some of his fellow conspirators to important and high-ranking administrative positions. So it immediately appeared to nearly everyone that the fix was in. The conspirators were now being rewarded, and it was one big happy party. But alas, it was only a ruse. A month after he made those appointments, he removed these same people he had appointed, his fellow conspirators, and exiled them to faraway places. That would have been double betrayal. First, the betrayal of the coup that led to the murder of Gegin Khan, and then the reverse betrayal by the conspirator Khan against his allies. It appears Yesen Khan's motive for the purge was intended to boost his legitimacy. He was trying to distance himself from the coup and the regicide. Yesen Khan was the least Chinese-like of the UN emperors since Kublai Khan. He could not speak Mandarin, or, or at least he wasn't sufficiently fluent in it. He had no Chinese background. He had spent his entire 29 years in the steppes region. His administration must have seemed a little strange to the Chinese because it consisted mainly of Mongolians, some of them Muslim. Indeed, Muslim administrators took on unprecedented and important roles in the Chinese dynasty during his reign, and none of them had much background in Chinese culture. Likewise, Chinese people had very little influence in his reign, and that was a stark break from the past, really unprecedented. While all of that was different from prior emperors, Yesen Temer had no intention of going full Mongolian or Muslim. Yesen Temer himself was not a Muslim. He was a Buddhist. And he did try to build a broad, diverse consensus over politics, religion, and socially. One of the other actions he took as emperor to assuage the animosity, he, appoint, he appointed some of Gagin Khan's sons to key state positions. It seems Yesen Khan worked hard to make amends with the past and his former enemies. He even made up with the royal princes that he had betrayed when he removed them from the positions and had exiled them. 
One of the criticisms of his reign was that his support for Islam and Confucianism was not sincere, that he did so only for political gain and support in in order to bolster his legitimacy. Only five years into his reign, he died suddenly in August in the year 1328. He was 35 years of age. And he had named his eldest but very young son as the heir apparent. His name, Ragaba Khan, known also by his Chinese emperor name, Tianxin. And his coronation was at the Summer Palace in October of that same year. He was eight years of age. And again, for those keeping track, he was the seventh Yuan Emperor and the eleventh Great Khan. As if there was not already enough jam-packed drama with the murder of Gagin Khan earlier, things are about to get out of control to put it mildly. As much as I wish to avoid it, to best understand who was what in the upcoming history, I have to rehash or clarify some royal family ancestry. I am sorry, but it's necessary. Maybe you will thank me. You will remember Temur Khan died without an heir. He had at least two surviving brothers, and I believe they were from different mothers. Anyway, the brothers were Gamala, who I've mentioned, and another one that I haven't mentioned, Damabala. When Temur died without a designated heir, the crown went to Kulig Khan, Emperor Wuzong. He was Damabala's son and nephew to the deceased emperor, Temur Khan. In fact, both Temur Khan and his brother, and later Great Khan, Ayur Barwada, or Emperor Renzong, both had Damabala as their father. When Ayur Barwada died, Allegedly, he was supposed to name one of his brother, Kulig Khan's sons, as the next in line. But we know he didn't do that. Instead, he designated his own son, Gagin Khan, as crown prince. And we already know Gagin Khan was murdered, but was not by a conspiracy of the Kulig Khan family as it would be sensible to think that. Instead, Gigin Khan was murdered by a conspiracy that Temur Khan's other brother, Gamala, and his family were involved. The murder led to Yasun Khan taking the Khanate. He was Gamala's son. Finally, from Yasun Khan, we get to his son, Ragaba Khan, as the Emperor Khan that was coronated in October of the year 1328. We are now caught up on the ancestry piece. 
while the new young Raghabah Khan was being coronated. The succession fight from the Kulig Khan family was about to become apparent. By the time the young emperor Tianshun, or Raghabah Khan, was coronated, the coup to remove him had already started. And what followed was the bloodiest and most destructive session war of the entire Yuan dynasty. The coup had apparently been hatched since the time it was clear that Arur Barwada had not kept his word and would not pass the throne to his deceased brother Kuli Khan's family. To his son, to Kuli Khan's son. The intent of the coup was to restore the Khanate to the heirs of Kulig Khan. The unexpected death of Yesen Khan finally provided the Kulig Khan heirs the opportunity to take back the Khanate. Once it was taken back, it would reside there for the rest of the Yuan dynasty. The events I just described has various names. One is the War of Restoration, to restore the title back to the Kulig Khan clan. It's also referred to as the War of the Two Capitals. That reference, however, refers to events that I am about to talk about. Before I do that, I want to make it clear that the War of the Two Capitals is part of the War of the Restoration. With that in mind, the War of the Two Capitals primarily involved three persons that I have not mentioned yet. There were the two half-brothers, Kusala and Tu Temer. Yes, I know, another Temer. And another fellow by the name of L. Temer. Yes, even another Temer. The two half-brothers had suffered greatly at the hands of the last two Khans. The two half-brothers' father was Kulig Khan. L. Temer was a Yuan general, and he was very loyal to the Kulig Khan family. El Temer was the real brains behind the events I am describing now. He came from a long line of Yuan generals, and he had a Turkish heritage. He was not Mongolian, and he was not Chinese. As soon as Yesen Khan fell ill, in the year 1328, El Temer started to create the coup. It was simultaneous operations conducted in both Yuan capitals. In the fall of the year 1328, El Temer led the attack and arrest of several Yuan dynasty officials at the capital in Beijing. The other prong was against the summer capital, Shangdu. There, The plot of the conspirators, however, was discovered before it was executed and it was defeated. 
After El Temer got control of Beijing, he organized a temporary government where one of the half-brothers, Tu Temer, was temporarily installed in October of the year 1328 as the great Khan and Yuan Emperor. You might be wondering right now about what happened to Raghava Khan, you know, the eight-year-old of the newly deceased emperor. I will get to him in a moment. When Tu Temer received the Khanate from El Temer, he did so with the promise he would abdicate in favor of his older half-brother, Kusala. Kusala had been summoned from a faraway place in Central Asia. Meanwhile, the loyalists at Shangdu, emboldened because they believed they were defending the designated heir, the young boy, and legitimate ruler of the Khanate, were preparing for a fight. Unfortunately for the loyalists, they had the lesser advantage geographically and economically against the conspirators. The conspirators controlled better real estate and resources, not to mention that El Temer was a brilliant strategist and had a well-thought-out plan. I think I'm going to leave it here right now. In the next episode, we'll continue with this terrible period of time in Mongol history. More suspicious activity, more betrayal. We have a missing Khan. There's also, again, regicide and fratricide. And I will finally, next episode, close out the mid-Yuan period. Thank you. It has been a pleasure.